scripture this morning comes from Mark chapter 1, uh, verses 16 to 20. I'll be reading from the Common English Bible. Uh, you can follow along on the screen or listen to my voice. Verse 16, as Jesus passed alongside the Galilee Sea, he saw two brothers, Simon and Andrew, throwing fishing nets into the sea, for they were fishermen. Come and follow me, he said, and I will show you, I will show you how to fish for people. Right away, they left their nets and followed him. After going a little further, he saw James and John, Zebedee's sons, in their boat repairing their fishing nets. At that very moment, he called them. They followed him, leaving their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired workers. It's the word of the Lord. John. God is good. All the time. God is good. All the time. Amen, amen. I'm Pastor Dave Sim. Uh, this is Renewed Church. If this is your first time, welcome. We are renewed by God for the renewal of our neighborhoods. And we are in the Mark's Gospel of Mark series. Um, and this is the second week. So we're still in chapter one, slowly going through um, Mark. And uh, we'll be in it for a while maybe with some breaks, uh, but previously on Mark, for those of you who like to stream, previously on Mark, the people of Israel, the people of God, hadn't heard from a prophet for thousands of years, right? There was, between the Old Testament and the New Testament, if you will, there's silence, and out of the wilderness came a voice, John the Baptist, preaching good news, and people left and right from the towns, from the cities, were coming into the desert, going to the desert, into the wilderness to be baptized, because it says, the scripture said, that they had a change of heart, that their lives were being changed, and they were hungry to repent and walk a different way. And in, ironically, the desert, they were finding living water, amen, they're finding life, in the desert, how many of us have been in that place where we've been thirsty and wanting new life and following Jesus or going to church or being, you know, a disciple or whatever you want to call it, just has been dry, has been hard. It's hard to get up in the morning. Uh, even I was pressing snooze like five times this morning. Um, and there doesn't seem to be life. And we're looking for that life, but John the Baptist came to prepare the way for the coming Messiah. And the thing that people were waiting for, the person that people were waiting for, that which people were hungering and thirsting for, he was announcing and proclaiming. And that day, Jesus comes and is baptized. And it says the heavens opened up. And the spirit of the Lord descended like a dove. And the voice of God said, this is my son who I'm well pleased with. And after that, and Mark uses immediately or right after this, next, 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 right? Using, the, using kind of a hurried pace. In verse 14, we read that after John was arrested, John gets arrested and we know that he later becomes executed because of 
his prophetic words because of his prophetic ministry. Um, and Jesus came into Galilee, what? Announcing God's news, saying, now is the time. This is the Kairos moment. This is the fulfillment of prophecy. This is the fulfillment of the scripture. Now is the time. Here comes God's kingdom. Change your hearts and lives and trust this good news. And the key word there for me is trust, right? Trust that this is good news. Trust that I have life for you. Trust that this is a good place to be, that I am God's gift. Not I am God's gift, but Jesus is God's gift. Trust in me. And this movement, I mean, I picture this movement of hearts being open, right? Hearts that were once closed, hearts that were once hardened because of hurt or because quite frankly, silence, you know, where, what is God's word? Where has God been? Where is the saving life that we've been longing for? Now in the desert, in the wilderness, hearts are being opened and are being received uh, by the people and they are being changed. Change your hearts and trust in me. I don't know about you, but I'm kind of a paranoid person, and trust is a very hard thing for me, right? When people say things, sometimes I'm, I come, I approach it as like with, a, with, with kind of cynicism and kind of like, really? Are you just tell, exaggerating or are you telling a story? And less like, oh, take it for, you know, take it for face value. And this is just how I grew up and was raised. And God's been working on that, like, hey, you know, take people at face value and trust people and trust me. Uh, give up control or don't think that people are scheming and plotting to take you out or like looking for your downfall. And so I've been working on that in my, in my heart, but it is hard for us to trust, right? To trust our friends, to trust our family members, to trust institutions, to trust jobs, to trust bosses, to trust our parents, to trust our siblings. And here Jesus is saying, trust this good news. And in our particular passage, Jesus begins to call his first four disciples. And it's a passage about, I mean, naturally about discipleship. But I think it's important for us to define dif discipleship before, because sometimes we throw down, throw out the word like discipleship, be disciples. We're going to be, have discipleship groups or what is discipleship? Like it's not a, it's not a current term. It's not some, something I throw out like disciple. I am a disciple of this or that. Um, so discipleship is not actually used in this passage that we've read, but the word disciple is used throughout the gospel. Right? Um, and it's well used in this context, in the context that Jesus and these fisher men are, find themselves. A disciple was a student or learner, 
but not just a student as we may understand it, a student you know, going after a degree, a student of knowledge, one that reads books, but a student more like an apprentice, right? Here is a master. Here is someone who is an artist, uh, uh, you know, someone who has mastered what they're doing, or in this case, a rabbi, right? Jesus is like a rabbi and taking on apprentices. And apprentices is way more than book knowledge, but it's a rubbing off, right? A rubbing off that happens when there's life together. When uh, a rubbing off on one another and a mimicking and a modeling. When a rabbi actually lives or master of a craft lives with their apprentices and shows them every, uh, daily what it means to be whatever it is, blacksmith or, you know, like um, a putter together or a leader um, of the scriptures. Um, and when a rabbi uh, had the student in those days, it was considered uh, a disciple, and it was a great honor. But in Jesus' case, he's inviting, he's inviting, giving an invitation and choosing, recruiting his disciples um, where, whereas in those days, a rabbi didn't necessarily choose or go after or call or invite disciples, but disciples were the cream of the crop that rose to the top, right? The, the students of the law, the students of Torah, the students of religion that were smart and got the good grades and like were able to have the privilege of education, were able to do those things. But Jesus actually goes to Galilee, right? And he's in Galilee, and Galilee is kind of like the country. And, and there's the Sea of Galilee, and there's these little towns. It's not where the great universities are or the great kind of uh, assemblies of learning are. But it's, you know, I don't know. Where would you say in Washington? It's Nahomish, right? Where I go to go fishing, or Dax and I go to, you know, catch salmon, or whatever, uh, uh, the countryside, and he's caught, and he's running into these fisher people, and calling them, saying, "Follow me, follow me," and they follow, they follow. Um, discipleship. In this case, as we look at it, is an invitation to follow Jesus. Jesus comes and says, follow me. And it says that the disciples drop their nets. They were mending their nets. They drop the nets, and they start to follow him. They go with him. So, one, discipleship starts with leaving something behind with letting go of something. Not simply, uh, it's not simply learning something, right? But in letting go of something, we open our hearts um, to, be, to be able to take on and learn and receive something new. Are you with me, church? Sometimes we hold on to things because it's what we know, we feel safe with that thing, or yeah, it's just, a sense of control, and without that, we feel vulnerable. But when we let go of that, right, 
The focus is not just, oh, the loss, the suffering, I've hit rock bottom. But the, the focus is, when we let go of that, what are our hands opened now to receive? Right? There's something so much better if we would just empty our hands to receive that thing. So to follow Jesus, when Jesus says, follow me, there is a natural leaving behind of something. And I have to note uh, right here that, um, well, I'll get to that later. But what are the disciples leaving behind in this case? They're leaving behind their father. The father is named, right? Sons, sons of Zebedee. They're leaving behind their family, their father. They're leaving behind their home to become itinerant ministers, preachers. And they're actually leaving behind a business, right? Because it says, and they left their hired workers. So oftentimes we think of the disciples, the fishermen, as like these poor you know, fishermen and the poorest of the poor, and Jesus is calling the poorest of the poor. But actually... In this case, they're leaving hired workers with their father and the, the care of the business with hired workers. So they had enough money. They had an enterprise, a fishing kind of enterprise of some sort in, in order to have hired workers. So there was a business enterprise in this case, and they were leaving that business with their father and with their home to follow Jesus so what were they letting go of? They could be letting go of security. They could be letting go of livelihood. They're letting go of home and family to follow Jesus. And I want to be careful here uh, because this is a very unique context, first of all. These are the first four of the 12 disciples of Jesus. Like He only called 12 disciples. Right, And he was calling them into the ministry that he was about to take part of, which was what? An itinerant, like the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Right, An itinerant ministry where he's going from town to town. They don't have a headquarters. They don't even have a home that they own. So Jesus is calling them into something unique. How many of you are called into an itinerant preaching ministry? Raise your hand, raise your hand, raise your hand. No, right? So we got to think about that context. I'm called into a preaching ministry, preaching the gospel, but even I have a home. Even I have a bed to lay my head. But I think the thing that we uh, should glean from this is that what is the thing that we're holding on to? What gives us value? Value above what Jesus who Jesus is saying that you are, who Jesus is calling you to be, amen, right? And it's less about, it's less about what we are like trashing. Oftentimes we kind of have that feeling like it's when I've hit rock bottom that God does something in my life. So I need to hit the bottom, right? And then I'm gonna get risen up, right? God works at all times in our lives, right? We don't have to fake suffering or fake like utter complete loss for God to be working. He's working right now. Sometimes God works when we're doing well, right? 
Sometimes he works when we're being blessed. Hashtag blessed, 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 blessed. Right? And then God is working. But I think what's happening here or the, the thing that we can glean from this is what is giving you value that is not from God? Right? What is giving you security that's not from God? What is like your, the thing that you completely build your life uh, or foundation on? Because Jesus is saying, trust in me. Change your hearts and change your lives and trust in me because I'm the one who gives you identity. First, you got to let go of that so you can receive the name and the identity I have for you. Amen? And it's not, oh, you have to let go of your business. You have to let go of your career. I think more so it's you're a follower of Jesus first before you are manager at Boeing or, you know, IT person at Microsoft or teacher at so-and-so high school. Sometimes those become who we are or what we lean on. It's first you're a follower of Jesus and then take that who you are into the business place, into the marketplace, into Amazon, into Boeing, into the high schools. Are you with me, church? That's who we are first and that's what Jesus is saying when he says, follow me. And in order for us to fully step into that, we have to recognize that there are places our hearts are closed. Our hearts don't trust God. Our hearts have been burned. And you know what happens when you burn yourself, right? Or when you scratch, you know, wound yourself, you get a scar. And sometimes those scars, you know, become calluses. And our hearts are the same way. Our hearts get broken. Our hearts are hurt. And we get scarred and calloused. Right? And when our hearts are scarred and callous, it's much harder for us to trust and receive good things as well. We may be keeping out the bad things, right, and protecting ourselves, but it also prevents us from receiving goodness. Are you with me, church? Um, the writer Susan Watts Henderson notes, in relationship to the response of the disciples, the piling up of particulars underscores the full weight of the verb to leave. They left, right? Not just nets are left behind, but a name, father, a boat, and indeed an entire enterprise. But as we let go, it grows our capacity to learn. As we let go, it increases our capacity to learn. And to be a disciple of Jesus, as we say, oh, we are stepping into discipleship, or we are being disciples of Jesus, that means we, have, we need to have a vision for our growth, right? Jesus wants us to be learners in our life. Not just learners like in the classroom, not just, you know, learning about the Bible, or learning about, you know, what it means to be a Christian, but learners in the way that we're shaped and transformed in the way of Jesus Christ, amen? That we become different people, that our hearts are softened and renewed, and we begin to express gifts and love for people that we've never 
felt and expressed before. Are you with me, church? In the way of Christ, we're becoming apprentices of the way of Christ. And in the way of Christ, we become servants and foot washers. We begin to love as other, others as Jesus did. We begin to go to the highways and byways to love and invite people to the party, to the banquet table, as Jesus did. We begin to see the beauty in our neighbors as Jesus did. Following Jesus is a call to sacrificial love and laying our life down for others. Not because we will it, right? Not because we have that ability or that's naturally what comes out of us. A lot of us, some of us took a spiritual gifts test inventory, and I think none of us, uh, a lot of our leadership and people, none of us have the gift of mercy, right? We're like really low on the gift of mercy, right? And like zero, right? Some of it is like, you know, proclamation or evangelism or, you know, woo-woo, but like serving people and like hurting, you know, like giving food to the, uh, we're kind of low on that. And so I, every day I pray, God, God, bring us, you know, merciful people who, who can serve. Um, but even if that's not our natural inclination, as we follow in our disciples of, disciples of Jesus, Jesus changes us and makes us more like Jesus. Amen? And the Holy Spirit empowers us to love in ways that we couldn't love before. And it's like a muscle that we work out and we grow. What's next? Follow me. So although most Christians were not called to leave our jobs and leave our families and become wandering preachers, um, I think we are called to ground our identity in Christ Jesus. Amen? And to trust more deeply in Jesus. And that's what it means to grow and be a disciple, to be an apprentice of Jesus Christ, doing life together and learning and picking up things and letting Jesus, the heart of Jesus, rub off on us. And whether we leave our jobs or not or leave our families behind or let go of whatever you want to call it, idols, um, in this passage, uh, the disciples are called to follow Jesus and no longer primarily be fisher people, fisher men, right? Or anything else except follow me and be followers of Jesus. And in this way, if we think about this, in whatever you're doing, whatever vocation you have, you know, if, you know, whatever business you're a part of, whether you're a student, you know, trying to learn and trying to get you know, maybe to college and, and beyond that. This challenges us to resist uh, the temptation to make our own activities, our own learning, our own work, our soul, right? Our soul identity 
uh, and the, the, the main defining element of who we are, but rather our soul identity and the main element of who we are is Jesus Christ. And that's what we take into our schools, our work, you know, our homes, our families. We are Jesus people. Amen. Jesus is asking us not to hold anything back. We tend to hold on to certain things, right? And negotiate with God, right? Yeah, you know, I want this, right? And later on, I'll do that, right? But right now, and we kind of, you know, make our negotiations with God. Uh, But we need to understand that Jesus is not asking you to let go of things, not asking us to let go of things to punk us, right? <laughs> to be like, or to mess with you, right? Ha <laughs> ha, look at you suffering down there. <laughs> right? or, or invite you into some sort of masochistic faith, like no pain, no gain. The harder it hurts, the better it'll be, right? He's asking you to let go of something because of what's on the other side. He's asking you to let go of this so that he can bless you. Amen. Come and follow me. Right? He didn't say drop your nets, right? The disciples dropped their nets and immediately followed him. There was some, they were compelled to drop their nets and follow him because they knew uh, you know, everyone kind of does a cost-benefit analysis, right? They knew that dropping their nets, right, was worth it. Will we worth it in the end? Because there, there's something so much more that I'm stepping into. And that's what compelled them to drop their nets, the blessing and the riches and the gifts that were to follow when they followed Jesus. Do we believe that on the other side of what we're holding that gets in the way, that on the other side of that, there's blessing and riches and gospel good news. Do we trust that? That's where we started, right? In the desert, there was a voice in the wilderness, and the people came because their hearts were changed, and they were thirsty. And Jesus was saying, change your lives, change your hearts, because I have something good for you, right? Whenever he asks you to give something up, it's because of what's on the other side of that. That's lordship. God knows what's good for you. He sees what's good for you. He knows who you are to the depths, truly, truly. Right? And... In that sense, it's way more, discipleship is way more than what we're leaving, right? Or just learning something, right? We can have a Bible study and learn something. But discipleship is a relationship and a journey, right? And on that journey, when we kneel down and there's storms and there's paths that are diverging in different ways, when we kneel down, 
Who do we turn to? Who do we ask? Which way should I go? Or I can't keep going. Give me power. I don't know what to do. Give me discernment. Lordship, discipleship is first turning to Jesus and saying, show me the way I want to follow. I want to leave everything and follow you. And I, I miss this. I miss this in my life. The other day, I was with Tim Shea, who works with InterVarsity Christian Fellowship, uh, campus ministry, which I was on staff, uh, and I came to college as a student leader in InterVarsity Christian Fellowship and was a staff worker. And I remember the days when, uh, when the first week of school, we used to put tables out uh, at Whitman first, and then when I was on staff at UW, we'd go be in Red Square, or we'd be in front of the dorms, put tables out, and be like, hey, here's some candy. Do you want to sign up for Bible study? Or just inviting people. And at UW, we used to help people move into their dorms, right? And when I was on staff, it was a little harder because people would look at me, why is a grown man helping me move into the dorms, right? Uh, but um, InterVarsity is partnering with a ministry uh, at every community college. And it was the first week last week. And uh, they had set up a table to invite students, and Tim invited me along. And I went, and something came alive in me again. Do you know what I'm saying? It's like, there's nothing like campus ministry or college ministry because it's a crossroads, right? People are deciding things about their life. What I'm going to major in, who, what my identity is, you know, who, who are going to be my friends, uh, for the rest of my life, and deciding about faith, and like spirituality, and all of these things, and at those crossroads, right, the campus minister steps in and says, what about Jesus, right, and I don't know if it's just this generation, but there was an openness that really inspired me, like, People that, you know, in my day, people were like, I'm an atheist, goodbye, right? Want some candy? No, I don't want Christian candy, right? <laughs> now people were like, you know, and Steve, uh, Steven, who was a staff worker there, was really good. Will you give me 30 seconds? And I was like, at least there's a time frame. So they'd be like, okay, I'll give you 30 seconds. And then it's like Shark Tank, right? It's like your elevator speech. And, uh, but P the students were open. They're like, I want to talk about spiritual things. I, I used to go to church, right? I, uh, but I don't now, I, don't, I, I really don't follow Jesus right now. But are you open to a group that's going to discuss this? They're like, sure, I'll sign up. And there was an overall openness, and I felt young. I felt excited. I believed again. I believed in the Spirit moving and changing lives. I do believe it because it happens in this church, right? I'm not saying it's like, it sucks here, right? It just, with adults, with grown-ups, it's just a lot slower, right? It's, just a, it's not as dramatic, right? It can't be, okay, never mind. Yeah, we can make it dramatic. Um, um, and it reminds me that... 
the freshness of what it means to follow Jesus. That when, when we let go of whatever that is, for me, it could be years of cynicism, right? It could be my cynicism of the Holy Spirit really working in people's lives and just kind of holding on to that cynicism and not being open. As long as I hold on, my heart is not open to new possibilities, right? But that cynicism I'm holding on to, and I'll tell one more story to bring that home. Um, but this year, I have believed in fishing again. <laughs> After years and years, growing up with my father, throwing our line, and like for hours, never catching anything. I'm like, what's the point of this? Like, I do not believe in fishing anymore. And I've grown cynical. And then even in the Pacific Northwest, the great Puget Sound and Lake Washington, flourishing with fish of all types, like abundance, abundance. And you see people in their boats and other way, uh, posting pictures, salmon, 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 right? You're like, I can do that. Hours and hours of nothing. I don't believe anymore. I don't believe. But this year, right? And I, it's all because of Dax. <laughs> Go fishing with Dax to Mokotio Beach, and you see the salmon, right? The pinks in odd years. They're literally just jumping right in front of you. And... And I was skeptical, okay, a buzz bomber. I had a bunch. I never caught one on a buzz bomb, right? And I'm throwing it out. I'm throwing it out. I'm like, why would they just go after this thing? Like, it's one line and, like, miles of water, right? And boom, right? We're catching them. We're catching pink salmon. And I was like, yes, yes, that's awesome. And then I forgot to bring pictures, but I'll show you how big they were. But, uh, but then a friend of mine invited me onto his boat. And I went, and uh, boom, like in the first minute, I caught this huge coho. And it was, it was probably 30 pounds. Just kidding. Just kidding. It was this big. You just have to trust me and take my word for it. And I literally told him, I've been like a couple times I've been trolling. And maybe I caught a little, little thingy. Uh, but I didn't believe, but now I believe in fishing again. And even the, when I go trout fishing in the little lakes, Holler Lake and like Bitter Lake, the little lakes in Seattle, like I've been catching fish, right? I'm like, this is awesome. I feel so much hope. And Jesus is saying to his disciples, follow me and I will make you fishers of people, right? Do you believe in what I'm doing and that there will be abundance and lives can be changed and that things will happen that will blow us away? Um, this is the kingdom of God. This is what Jesus was proclaiming and inviting people and for Jesus, it's like, this is not a hard invitation, right? This is an invitation to life. It's a no-brainer. And what would it look like 
if people smelled that on us and felt that on us. Life, right? A no-brainer. This is why we're here. This is why we worship. This is why we do what we do and love because of Jesus. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your call in our lives and that no matter what that looked like or what that looks like now or how we've responded in the past, we can all respond again today afresh and you are continuing to engage with us and inviting us into following you into deeper trust and discipleship in you. And so I pray that in these days to come, you would open our hearts to receive new possibilities and new blessings that you have for us and that we can believe again and have life, life everlasting. In Jesus' name, amen.